Hello, Monetization Nation. Justin Rondo is the general manager for Scalable Labs and manages several software companies, including Recess.io, TrueConversion.com, Praxio.com, and powers the technology behind DigitalMarketer.com. In today's episode, we'll discuss the tectonic shift of SaaS and why businesses are shifting towards it. Many different companies have adopted SaaS because of the tremendous opportunity it provides to develop recurring revenue streams. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Justin Rondo is joining me on the show today. Justin is a marketing leader, tech enthusiast, and and has more than 10 years of experience. Um, He's trained thousands of marketers in CRO, analytics, funnel architecture, email marketing, and marketing strategy. I have Justin on the show today because I want to talk about this tectonic shift of MarTech and SaaS software. And so many different companies today, even consumer product companies, have become or are going to become SaaS software companies because of this tremendous opportunity it provides for these organizations to develop recurring revenue streams um, in addition to their historic uh, product lines. So with that said, Justin, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Super excited to, uh, to be here. So we like to start off by giving our guests the opportunity to share something that they are super passionate about. Yeah, gosh, um, I, I have a lot of the, I have a lot of passions, but I think the one that's kind of been pervasive through like my life has been, I think, performance and music between those two. I played music and gigged around throughout high school and all that stuff. I still have uh, some of my uh, my instruments still here that I that I regularly play as well. But I've always been a bit of a ham. And I like to find a way to have a creative outlet at any given time. So I think that that um that that's always been a part a part of my life there. So what instruments do you play? Um, I play the bass guitar. I've been playing it since I was about seven. Oh, fun. Um, and yeah, that's that, that's the only one I I can noodle around on like a piano and guitars as well. But like just specialized on on that thing. I guess that's the I guess the T shaped musician, so to say. <laughs> just just go real deep on one and kind of okay at the rest. But you said music and performance. Yeah, yeah, pr- primarily performance through music. Uh, I think I, back in the day, I used to do more things. I, I do a lot of karaoke when that was okay during COVID. Um, that's kind of the other thing I think I'm, I'm, I'm known for among people. It's interesting. I love music as well, but the thing I love most about music is the creation side. I love the mm. songwriting and and the improving and and um, that's what seems to fill my bucket. For some reason, the performance side never filled my bucket as much as the creation side. Yeah, the creation's fun on the writing side of things. Like, I don't write as much. I'm much more of a, like like improv and those things there. Um, I played primarily in jazz groups uh, when I started. So that's where you kind of live in improv city. <laughs> I love jazz. Jazz is, is one of those musics one of those types of music or genres of music that is much more fun to play than it is to listen to. I like to yes. listen to it, but it is so much fun to play. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Next, would you just take us through your journey? How, how did you become one of the world's experts on SaaS software development? 
I mean, my journey is a, is a non-traditional one. I think, I think uh, that's the case for a lot of people that end up in kind of these emerging industries um, really kind of started like my, my whole plan was uh, get philosophy, get a philosophy degree, uh, go to law school, become a lawyer, call it a day, like go super kind of traditional in terms of like get that type of job and move on. I realized I, I don't want to be a lawyer and um, I kind of was just floating and I saw, I saw an opening at a, actually a, a, a software company called Template Zone. And this was almost 11 years ago at this point. And I started just doing some initial marketing for them and then kind of was able to have some initial success on like email marketing campaigns and drip campaigns for their software, which was actually still when you'd like mail disks out to people and it was virtual license software that was shifting towards SaaS. So they were a little ahead of the curve there. I got lucky on my first gig. I think a guy took a chance on me and was able to... Um, to let me learn more about the business, um, everything that's involved in it, and uh, really just um, gave gave a young guy a chance. Um, from there, I got obsessive with email marketing and conversion rate optimization. Like, how can I tinker and test things? I, I wanted to, everything I wanted. I wanted to be able to do needed to be verifiable, and I lived in that world. And that's when I was at Witch Test One, where I was the marketer and chief editor. And just kind of training people on how to do CRO, and that was still kind of a new thing, and that was that was building up. Um, then moved on to, to digital marketer, where I spent time working, with, uh, running the marketing team, and then the company. And I know that we started coming up with individual pieces of like software that we would sell one off, and um, also needed our own proprietary software in in the company. So I took the reins there just because I had the acumen, I guess. And I understood kind of the, the, the world because I loved playing with the different tools out there and seeing how they all fit together. Um, and it really just kind of spun out where it was like, okay, well, hey, Justin, don't do the marketing stuff anymore. Like, you're good at that. That's fine. But we have some ideas we want to start doing for software development. Um, and you're the only one. Who, and yeah, I guess I forgot one key thing. I had started a company called True Conversion um, that was then acquired by Digital Marketer. And that's where I got some of my software kicks because it was for like a, a CR, CRO professionals, which is what, you know, my life was all about. My career was all about at the time. So uh, then they're just like, hey, like we have a bunch of software projects we want to try out. Um, we want to be able to maintain our internal tools, be able to expand on those things as well and come up with end user tools um, that, that solve a particular problem for B2B companies that are trying to scale. Um, and so that was kind of the theme that I needed to play around with for when I'm coming up with new concepts. Or, or working on on new features like it will this solve a problem of of a business that is that is and what like what's the problem we're trying to solve how are we going to achieve it and then um, kind of get the chance to start building some things out from there more than two decades ago I was the CEO of a publicly traded SaaS company and back then you had to do everything from scratch everything mm-hmm. involved um, coders creating everything ourselves and and the world has changed yes it's so much easier to create SaaS products today than it was two decades ago do you want to talk about that a little bit and the opportunity that presents to businesses yeah i mean if you're just looking at the different different frameworks that are out there now that 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 developers can use and now actually like in the no code movement you're running into people where you might not even need developers anymore which is a weird thing to say because i think a lot of people would look at you know, a developer's job is something that's fairly stable, but, um, and no code's like, it's not brand new, but it's starting to catch some steam um, that you'd be able to create your own apps yourself without kind of having to just rely on developers. But that's all based off of other, you know, frameworks that are out there. Like, you know, like all these front end frameworks that exist now, 
um, for a front end developer that would normally take like multiple front end developers to, to handle because they'd have to code from scratch. They now can pull from libraries of, of different like elements and then just go, Hey, look, this thing's done. This thing that would have taken days to do, it takes minutes now. Um, it's, it's, it's a different world. And that's why I think everyone's moving towards the software side of things because you can, you can generate something fairly, fairly easily. And that's why it's getting so saturated. If you look at, um, what Scott Breaker has to say, who's a chief MarTech. Um, he's also, I think he's on staff at HubSpot now, but like his blog, I think is chiefmartech.com. Everybody who's interested in MarTech should, should go there regularly and subscribe and check it out. Um, because that guy's on, has always been like, like on the cusp of everything. Like he knows what's going on there. But if you look at his yearly report, just like almost the exponential growth in the number of like softwares that are coming out in different categories, um, it is becoming a very, very saturated market and difficult to stand out. It may have taken me $2 million to get my first product out the door when I, when I started two decades ago, but nowadays maybe for $200,000, you can get a great SaaS product out the door. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So there's several tectonic shifts happening here. You know, you've got the tectonic shift of, of SaaS. You've got the tectonic shift of, of the cost reduction of creating a SaaS product. And, and you've got the tectonic shift of the recurring revenue that, that businesses can add to their business from, from implementing a SaaS product. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on those tectonic shifts? Yeah, yeah. Um, especially on the revenue side of things. I mean, we always talk about, you know, getting recurring revenue and just subscription revenue is one of the best ways to make sure you're going to stay in business. Mm-hmm. Um, it is harder to front end those types of offers though, to try and get people to, to take you up on a subscription. Um, people, especially now um, that people are more used to this, like the SaaS economy. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts on that and something we're testing out on our side anyway. Um, but yes, I mean, subscription revenue is great. It's great to know, like, if you know, if you know, like you at the beginning of each month, you go, Hey, cool. I know I have 600 grand in the bank. Cause I have that, those subscription billings going out. That's going to be coming in this month. We know day one this is coming in that's, and, and you're looking good. Um, where things get difficult is, you know, monitoring and improving churn. Um, I think banks, banks have it out for the subscription industry is kind of like my conspiracy theory hat where they make it very difficult for, for subscriptions to kind of continue. There's a lot of involuntary churn that's happening. Um, and there's you know, now even dedicated services like SaaS services to unsubscribe you from SaaS products. Like it, it's getting so weird um, in this space, um, which I think we're running into a, a climate where recurring revenue is crucial to businesses, but it can't, it, you need to find other ways to, to bring in cash. It can't just be purely recurring. You need to find ways to get that, you know, that higher ticket item that's in there, whether um, you can add a, a service or a, or a higher end um, white labeling opportunity or something like that in the, in, within your product. Um, but just purely doing it on subscription revenue alone, I don't think is going to be enough going forward. Um, and I think if, if you think about it too, in the B2B world, I mean, you're working with people there, especially if you're working with small businesses, you're going to be on like, you could potentially be on a, on a card or something that's also sharing that person's Netflix account and these other things. They have like so many different subscriptions that are already subscribed with in their personal life. They don't want more subscriptions coming in. So it's becoming a, a, a more cutthroat and being able to maintain some of that subscription revenue. Um, So that's, yeah, I mean, like that's the gold standard uh, for a business is having recurring revenue. Cause I mean, again, you know what's coming in each and every month, it's predictable. 
Um, but it's getting more and more difficult and it's not as a, it, and people aren't just like, Oh, look at, I get this thing and it's 30 bucks. They are like, no, that's more like almost close to $400 at this point because they're thinking out through the year. So they're seeing through some of the marketing tactics that are coming in there. Okay. So, so how do we prevent that churn? How do we, how do we keep our SaaS subscribers with us perpetually or for longer periods of time? I mean, really, you just have to, there has to be a consistent reminder of, to them for why they, why they decided to, to sign up for your, for your product, right? They, you need to be delivering that value where whatever, like whatever problem they were, they were trying to achieve, he needs to be almost a pervasive problem that does need um, a constant solution. So it needs something that will, like, that exists not just once, but multiple times uh, in order to solve that problem. I, I think, um, there's interesting like services out there. Like there's resume tools where you have to pay a monthly fee for them to just host your resume still. And that doesn't make much sense because somebody will use a resume once, will use the tool to create it and do all that stuff and then download it. And then they're done. Like their churn must be through the roof. Right. I mean, it would make more sense to me if they went, Hey, like, just go like maybe go higher ticket on the offering and go for a one-time offer. Cause you're probably your lifetime value is not going to be all that, all that much. Yeah. Um, Similarly, there's a product I'm really hot on right now um, that is a conversion uh, AI tool. Like it'll, I mean, it's a copywriting AI tool. So like write the copy for you, but I only use that when I need copy, right? So I I need to to justify the cost, um, which is actually fairly low cost. So from a cost benefit analysis, it's it's fine, but it doesn't prompt me to kind of come back um, and use it again. So you need to be able to have something that would solve a problem that is, isn't just a one-time issue. Like that was something we ran into with true conversion. True conversion is great for people who need to evaluate their campaigns, but what, what happens if they don't have a launch or a campaign to evaluate, then we're no longer useful. We're, we're a healthy scratch. Okay. So to summarize real quick, what you said, you're saying that if you're going to charge for a recurring revenue stream, you're going to charge your customers a recurring fee you need to make sure you're providing recurring value. You need yes. to make, whether it be content or solving some kind of problem for them, you need to make sure there's consistent value that aligns with that consistent cost. Yep, yep. Like for example, and, and I know some, if there's some product people listening to this, they're like, oh, well, we have like updates. Updates don't matter. Like, yeah. they, yes, it matters, like, but that's not the value. You're, 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 they're selfish. And like, you're like, hey, look at the stuff we just did. What you want to be doing is you need to you need to frame it the right way so that it, it does solve some type of problem or that 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 was either um, apparent in the application or if it was an improvement or if you're adding something like like at recess. So for recess.io, like we create a, it's a like internal marketing tools where you can broadcast email broadcasts and measure that measure kind of engagement to your team, right? So one of the things we do is like we don't come out with new. We're not going to just kind of keep loading up all these new features because then the product gets too bloated and you lose the vision there. But one area we know that we like to add things in consistently is in our broadcast templates and our survey templates, right? So when we have a new broadcast template, we don't just go, hey, we created this broadcast template. Like, okay, so what? We lead with what this, the, the problem that this template solves for the customer. And we generate those types of templates by having user interviews and asking them like, hey, like, what would make what would make the template library better? Do you care? Like, are you missing something for like uh, that would make communication easier for you? And build those types of things out. 
and then lead with this solves that problem versus we created this thing. Love it. So, so instead of saying, we give you recurring value through a template library, you say, we give you recurring value because when you're in this situation, we have a template to solve it. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. I'd like to go back to the beginning a little bit more and just yep. say, what is a SaaS product and why would a business want to explore adding a SaaS product? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, a SaaS product, I mean, if you're looking at, I mean, obviously like with SaaS, it's, you know, software as a service. So rather than, you know, paying for a license for something that then you'd have to update every year or something like that, you're purchasing access to a piece of software or a tool that you'd want to use that has regular updates, management, and those types of things. So it's not going to like be out of date, right? So you're running into a tool that is um, like forever evolving. And that's really what you're paying into there is to access to the tool itself, as well as to all of the, the work that's going on behind the scenes to, to host all that stuff, as well as to improve the product as a whole. So really um, the reason why a business would want that is there's, it's, there's multiple reasons where one, they have a need of something that needs to be done and this tool does it. Um, two, they don't have to pay like massive upfront costs to build it themselves or to, um, to, to have like large, large license fees or anything like that. And then, and then three, um, they're never really out of date. It's always, it's an always evolving uh, product. So they're, they're always, they always have the latest edition of it. Can you tell me some stories of, of companies, could be your companies or it could be other companies you've seen in the industry who have used SaaS software very effectively. Like one, the best example I can think of is Adobe, right? Going from the paying the recurring revenue streams to now they've got all of my designers and videographers paying them recurring revenue streams. Yeah. Um, you want to tell us some examples or stories? Um, I mean, that's probably like one of the best examples, <laughs> like on the Adobe side where you had to just, like you said, you had to get a perpetual license. You'd, you'd buy, you know, Photoshop seven and then you had Photoshop seven, but then a new one would come out and you'd be missing features because Photoshop eight has, doesn't have what Photoshop seven has. And then now you're like, now I have to buy that one. Whereas now it's like, Hey, you, like you pay a, uh, you know, a, a D it's actually not that expensive to, to have access to Photoshop anymore. It used to be a pretty big purchase. Um, especially like if you're like in the, in the creative space, like that's a, that's a hefty tick that if you know, a new one's coming out every year. Um, so I, like that could, that could be problematic in terms of other companies that, that do it. I think it's become such kind of like such a table stakes thing now that like everything is kind of cloud hosted and, and those things that, you can almost almost pick and choose. I think you have, um, I think HubSpot does a really, really good job in terms of how they acquire interest and attention by using kind of like micro SaaS products, like their graders and those types of things. I think they, they get people uh, in kind of way early on in their funnel that might not even be ready to, to purchase with them yet, but they're interacting with them and using um, small one-off tools to generate, generate interest and show what they're all about. So I think that they, they have a, probably one of the best, like full funnel SaaS strategies, um, that I think that that's out there. Um, yeah. So in today's remote work environment, you know, mm -hmm. my company doesn't even have my adoption.com business doesn't even have a headquarters anymore. My monetization yep. nation business doesn't even have a headquarters. Um, everybody works remote. And 
in that type of an environment, software product that is not SaaS and cloud-based makes it really hard to even work in that remote environment. And for example, I've been using uh, Google Docs and Google Drive yeah. and, and those kinds of things for a really long time now. And, and uh, we migrated many years ago from Microsoft products to, to Google Drive for that reason. That SaaS product is so much better than a, a Microsoft document that is sitting on your computer that you've got to email out to everybody. And then you've got to worry about, do I have the most recent version? And um, you've got four different people editing it. And it's so much easier to have one shared document on the cloud that everybody is editing. Thank you so much, Justin, for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, SaaS has become an important tectonic shift. Number two, SaaS programs are designed to help solve a problem. Number three, we don't have to pay massive upfront costs to build the software all from scratch. Number four, SaaS is a great way to provide recurring revenue. Number five, the SaaS market is becoming saturated. Number six, we shouldn't only rely on recurring revenue and should have diversified revenue streams. Number seven, to maintain subscription revenue, we need to provide constant and unique value. If you enjoyed this interview and want to learn more about Justin or connect with him, you can find him on LinkedIn or email him at justin at scalable.com or visit his company at scalable.com. We'll provide links to those in the blog post for this episode. You can also watch, listen, or read episode two of Justin's interview for more stories and secrets. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business at monetizationnation.com. Also at monetizationnation.com, you can subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine. Number three, subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. And number four, follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. Have you developed or marketed a SaaS software product or would you like to? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your efforts to generate recurring revenue from software as a service. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.